0: host of this show, Max Nast, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome if it's ptsd or military related trauma physical verbal sexual addiction alcoholism you can accomplish your dreams and with this show we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness this is fearless happiness and this is max naist
1: all right good morning everybody this is max from the fearless happiness podcast good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you are in this world I have an amazing guest today. I'm gonna to let him introduce himself in just a second here. He's an author, extraordinaire. From you know, I was introduced to him from a friend of mine, and I could not wait to get this gentleman on my podcast. So, what I like to do, Sean, is have you introduce yourself, like tell the audience who you are and and what it is you do. All right,
2: Max, thanks for having me. And it's just one of those things that you put stuff out in the universe, you never know what's gonna come back, but if you stay open and in tune with it you pay attention and when those opportunities come your way which is kind of how i've lived my life you follow it don't second guess it don't doubt it just take a step forward and that's kind of what i'm all about my name is Sean Langwell i am an author a speaker and a salesperson i've got over 3 decades experience in media sales i went to san, finished up at san francisco state to get a degree in marketing and advertising i'm one of those guys that actually Followed that career. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I went into it, but I kind of figured it out as I went along. And I'm also in, in recovery. I've got over 35 years of continuous sobriety. I've got a sobriety date of October 10th of 1986. I'm married. I've got three adult kids and a crazy cat, Maine Coon cat named Cleo. I'm also president of the, a writing club in California called the Redwood Writers Club, an or actually past president of Toastmasters of Petaluma. So I've got a lot of experience, breadth and depth in leadership roles, as well as sales, as well as recovery, as well as parenting. And, and somewhere along this line is this person called Sean, who comes out with a mission that's really designed to try and add value to people's lives and businesses wherever they are. You know, more specifically, I'm, I'm coming out with a book this spring called 10 seconds of boldness. It's the essential guide to solving problems and building self-confidence. And the genesis of that is really, we'll get into it in a little bit later, but the genesis is a term that I heard from an old ad director when I was at the top of my game and she called me out saying, you're taking your eye off the ball. And she calls it hero to zero and zero to hero syndrome. And in sales, anybody who's listened to this in the field of sales knows exactly what that means. It's you're at the top of your game with the quota. You do great. And the next year you got to do that great or better. And it doesn't always quite work out that way. So the genesis of this book is really me hitting another bottom in my sales career and finding my way out. So that's enough about me. Back to you, Max.
1: Yeah. See, there's, there's, there's all kinds of challenge. Everybody, you know, there's challenges in business, right? And challenges in in life. And I think you will agree with me. Maybe not at the moment, but when we look back, those people that call us out on that stuff, where we just go, "Okay, I get what they're saying." Right? They were actually doing it to help us, instead of well, back in the day when you know there was a time when I would have been like, "Well, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. How dare you talk to me that way?" You know what I mean? <laughs> So that, you know, in this podcast, that's what I like to talk about, you know, both challenges, both in business and, and and personally, right? And you talked about being in long-term recovery. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because there's a lot of my audience who listen to this podcast who are on sales like yourself, right? And they try to tell me I'm in sales, but I have no idea what they're talking about because I've never really had a sales job, but I get what they're saying. There's certain things that I do in my career that are kind of Right, I'm helping solve a problem, which is that's what sales right. is. So, thirty over thirty five years, and I gotta say, I knew we would get along, right? Because there's there's a guy I rented a room from him, him and his family, whose birthday, his sobriety birthday, is August twenty sixth of nineteen eighty six. And I rented a room for three years, and he was one of the best mentors I've ever had. You know what I mean? Never understood why he liked NASCAR so much, but one day he sat me down and explained it. So, but I just still said, you know, that's cool. I'll leave that up to you. And, but like yourself, like I look up to the guys who have put in a lot of time. So what are some of the challenges you found, right? Newly getting sober. We kind of talked about it in the beginning, like before we started the podcast, like let the audience know, what are some of the challenges is that, you know, someone out there might need to hear, you know, that, you know, and then they need to hear like, Never give up, right? Keep going.
2: It's it's interesting, and I'm going to lead with this. I'm not going to give you a a whole backstory. I'll kind of jump right into where I was at when I went to my first meeting because it'll set the stage for answering that question. So, you know, twenty. I got sober at 22 years old. I had a, a big accident. I was originally going down to school in San Diego State. Had an accident that almost cost me my right hand. Talked to mom on the phone. Tell her I can do it. I got this all under control. And she finally called back a week or so later and said, no, you don't. You need to come home and get yourself better. So that was in April of 86. Came home with full intentions of wanting to get sober and get better. I didn't know a clue about what that was. I thought I could do it on my own. There were some friends that I had heard about that had gotten sober who I ripped and ran with, others that I knew from just family acquaintances and saw how screwed up they were. So here I am coming back, not really knowing at a very young age. And I'm, you know, closing bars down. I wasn't really a bar drinker, but I'm next thing I know, I'm closing bars down. What I say, looking for love in all the wrong places. Anybody who's in recovery knows exactly what that's about. Yeah. And the loneliness and the feeling of despair that comes along with that and this problem of alcoholism, and and it really stemmed from my dad taking off at 13. I had this huge resentment, and my dad splitting without saying goodbye, and my world was torn away from me. So in the butt crack of dawn, as I say, I wander around the hills of Fairfax, California in an oversized thrift store tuxedo, shuffling my feet along a gravel path with that eerie feeling of the sun coming up and the birds chirping in the bushes, and just anybody who's ever been there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Life was slipping out of my hands. Next thing I know, I'm tumbling down a hill, tall grass and tumbling head over heels, and I come to rest at the bottom of this hill. And I look down and I've got stickers all over my suit and my head's down between my legs. And that was that first, what I call, moment of despair. That was a literal bottom for me. And in that moment of despair, there was also a first, what I call a God shot. Now, if you don't know what God is, or you don't have any conception, it doesn't matter. I didn't either at the time, but I just knew in that moment that I needed to do something, and I cried out, "God, help me!" And in that moment, I recalled a meeting schedule. My brother and his friends had been going to meetings, and then I looked at the schedule. I didn't do anything about it. I didn't go to a meeting. I knew there was a meeting not far from where I was, and I walked in that meeting. And for the very first time. I had these people like welcome me. I look like something the cat dragged in, Max. I'm just like just disheveled and my hands are shaking. They're all happy at seven o'clock in the morning and say, welcome. Come on, let us get you a (laughs) cup of coffee. And I'm like, you guys are freaks. Let me out of here. Oh, yeah. But I did. And I showed up. And early in those the, to answer your question, what really was the hardest thing was number one was the word God. It scared me. I didn't know why. I didn't understand it. I didn't have any clue about why I had a reticence or a resistance to that word. But they said it. It was on the walls, and I was crawling out of my skin, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. But sat through the meeting. Very first time I announced myself as a new as an alcoholic, and when the meeting was over. I wanted a bolt. And between me and that door was a little old guy. who I assume was an old timer. He hands me a card and says, "Here's my number. I'll take you to the next meeting. And it was just this real creepy thing. Like, you know, I say, <laughs> Goku, I mean, anybody who's been to Cancun back in the day when they jump out of vans and try and get you to sit down on a timeshare, it was kind of like that feeling. And I didn't oh, like it. Yeah, yeah. And I looked this guy square in the eyes and I said, I got this. I got it. So that early problem was my ego. It was the lack of humility. It was the lack of surrender, even though I knew I was hurting and I had no other choice of what to do. And he said, look me square in the eyes and he said, you know what? You ain't got shit. If you don't know where your next meeting is, you may not make it back alive. And I hate to tell you that, but it's the honest God truth. And I share that story anytime I get a chance to talk about my recovery, because that's where I was. And that drove me for the first couple of years, this fear and ego, and I'm going to prove to the world that I can do it. So when I finally did end up getting sober, I ran with that until I understood that there was other things. And we'll pick that up in a little bit later, but that early, early lessons of humility and not having any thinking that I could still control things on my own, it's followed me all of my life, Max, in, in sales, in marriages, in relationships, in recovery. I still get this swinging pendulum or seesaw of I can't, God can, I think I'll let them back and forth. And I don't want to let go because I still think I can be in control. And that's one of the biggest challenges I have with a lot of this self-help slash personal development things out there is beat on your chest of I got this. There's another side to that where you ain't got shit and you have to humble yourself to say, I need help before you can actually get to where you want to go. So if anybody gets anything else out of this, yes, you have to do the work yourself, but you also have to rely on the help of other people to love you until you can love yourself. And that's the biggest message I could give.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like I, especially I laughed with you, right? Because my first meeting right straight from jail, was a 6 a.m. meet. And Mm -hmm. I remember like when I got out of jail, I only had a tank top, board shorts, and flip-flops. I had nothing. I had lost everything, right? So I had to borrow, I had to go to their donation box, right? Pick some sweats. And this (laughs) was so here's something funny, Sean. So I had sweatpants on, no pockets, you know, a sweatshirt, a beanie, trying to look like I was still a thug, you know, like leave me alone. And they wake me up at five fifteen to go to this meeting, right? And I was like, you, I walk in this meeting, and everyone's talking, they're having, they're laughing, they're they're smiling, and I'm like, man, I just walked into the twilight zone because this ain't happening, yeah. you know. Like, and then this lady who's still my friend, she's got like thirty years of sobriety now. She came up and hugged me and said, welcome, and I was just like, I stiffened up like a board, and then I'm searching my pants yeah. and. The house manager goes max remember you came with nothing. you got nothing just go sit down and listen and i was like man you know like like i was like these people are freaks like who's hugging i wasn't getting hugged where i came from you know like leave me alone i don't you guys are weird Mm -hmm. this i'm in the twilight zone here right and you know to relate to your story right in the beginning like you know, I, I'm sure you've heard it, that saying, right? You can't save your ass in your face at the same time, right? So in the beginning, I was all about looking so good in meetings and sharing, you know, like just making myself look like I was the old, you know, I've been around for a while. And right. Because like you said, my ego got in the way. I got humbled though, you know, four relapses later. And, you know, it's not about me, but I understand that humility and going, I, and, and understanding that what you just said is so important like, we don't always have to do this stuff alone, whether it's in business or in life. Right. And, you know, I've grown and I'll tell you why I've grown to hate that saying, I got this. I hate it. Yeah. My brother told me that a week before he took his own life, you know, and then I've heard that from clients that I've worked with closely, you know, trying to get them to come up with a plan and, oh, I got this. And then get a call from family members. Hey, we found, you know, sad news. We found him dead of a an, Me and the kids found him dead of an overdose. So I've grown to hate that saying. And so like, I can relate to what you're talking about. Like I got, I, well, they say, if you don't humble yourself, God will. And God did to me in many, many ways, many times in my life and in my recovery. So, you know, that was awesome what you shared. So, you know, share any, you know, what I want you to do with the audience, right? Not only share those challenges, but right. Share some lessons that you've learned. Like in your life and in your recovery that can apply to anyone. Because you know, like this podcast is what I hope is that people from all walks of life can take something from Sean and go, God, he taught me this lesson, or whoever. You know what I mean?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. I only got a chance to listen to to one of your podcasts
1: because I wanted to get a feel for the
2: show and, and your voice and your demeanor and stuff. And it's just kind of what I do. But I listened to Jerry Gherkin's podcast interview on six figure salesperson on march 2nd and you know one of the other hard lessons that kind of ties into my ego and still feeling like i i had this inner drive and i still have it it's never ever going to go away of i want to prove to the world that i am worth something and i think some of that stems from separation anxiety of You know, my dad taking off feeling somehow at the age of 12 and 13 that I had to fill shoes to be something more, to make my own, to to fill this hole inside. And it was filled with stuff. It was filled with things. It was filled with booze. It was filled with chasing women. It was filled with gambling. It was filled with all these other things that were external to me. And it wasn't really until even after 10 years of sobriety where I started to get further deep into self will. And white knuckling it, not going to meetings, that I had a little wake-up call. It's like, you need to reconnect with what got you here in the first place. And every life has its its seasonal ebbs and flows and ups and downs. But what Jerry talked about just brought me right back home to to one thing in particular. He was talking about maxing out the credit cards and using it for gambling and trying to get that quick buck. And you know, my first wife. I didn't have credit. I didn't have a pot to piss in when I got sober, just like you. I had to close my back and a, a pea-stained futon was my bed, and that's what I was. I was living like a homeless person. And I I found a woman. We started, I needed credit. We were planning on getting married, and she got me a credit card with the intent that I could actually go put, go get her an engagement ring. Well, I had 25. Hundred, three hundred, three thousand dollars of credit, and I started taking cash advances unbeknownst to her and going over to Golden Gate Fields and playing the ponies, which I knew nothing about. I won one race (laughs) and I felt cocky that I got this once again. And here I go. I didn't even have a car, Max. I was hitchhiking over there and then working in San Rafael after the fact. It was just ugly. So the point is pay attention. To everything and everyone who comes into your life, because there are life lessons through indirectly or directly from other people and what they go through. And Jerry just brought me right back to that moment that I hadn't thought about in a while. I don't know why I chose that. Maybe it was the six figure salesperson, because that's what I aspired for for the longest time. And once you get there, it's kind of like, now what? You know, life is more than stuff, can't take any of the stuff with
1: you. I can't agree more. I mean, it's like, like the saying to me is so true. Stop and smell the roses, right? Like take time to be present with the people around you. Cause it's not all about the stuff you gain. Like you said, you can't take it with you. You know, one of my biggest teachers on that was my mother. You know, she worked her butt off, to take care of her family, especially like later, like her, my brother and myself, it was just her, and my, you know, and, you know, and, like that lady, we put it this way. We never lived in an apartment. That lady always made sure. And then you know how later, you know, you always think later, like, oh, well, I know why she did what she did. You know, I was mad at her or whatever, but I'd like, I have the utmost respect and love for my mother. Cause I know she, everything she did for us, even though she didn't maybe show it outwardly, you know, she wasn't the most affectionate person growing up, you know, until later in life. And, but I learned that she, like her driving force was my little brother and I, you know, to make sure we had food in our bellies, a a nice roof over our head, nice bed to sleep in and, and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, I, what I've learned in my journey in this thing called life and in my recovery too, is I don't take moments for granted, you know, like in a blink of an eye, you know, you lose the ones you love really quick. Cause there was a point where I'll share with you, I've lost, And just over a year, I lost my sister, my brother, my mother, like, and you know, that's why I say, I tell you, that was one of the toughest things I went through. And then like two years after that, almost three years ago, now, like we would lose our granddaughter at three months and a day old. And then due to my son's addiction and poor choices would have a stroke at 30. And, you know, he he's alive now, but he's, and he's a year and a half sober over a year and a half sober, but it took that for him to wake up and go. Yeah, I better change my ways, you know, and, and, you know, this process of of putting this podcast together, I get to meet amazing people like yourself, you know, that have lived this experience, you know, like I'm a big believer in is, you know, there is no coincidences, whether it's a bad event or a good one, right? Like the universe, God, Allah, whatever you want to call it is trying to teach us something. And that's going to. I know it's happened for me many times over and over. My wife will tell you it's still going to happen because she's like he's trying to teach you something. You better pay attention, right? The lessons will keep showing up until you learn it, and then it's off to the next one. So, you know, like you, that was perfect. I like to try to pay attention because you know I know I just did a post about that last week where you know I I started off as a you know a little funny humor with there's a new woman in my life and my wife woke up to and was okay with it. Right? And it was our little puppy, our little. Puppy, but I talked about that. You know, God puts people in your life for a season, for a reason, for a lifetime. You know, pay attention because you're whoever you run into, like ourselves, we're we're learning. I want to learn from you, Sean. You know, because you have the experience. You've gone to you've gone the path where I want to go, right? I haven't gone to it fully yet, but but I think the people, the audience out there can learn from you. Like you have like such an experience in life being an author and speaker and in recovery for such a long time, you know, share some other things you think that might help our audience, you know, go, okay, I can overcome my challenges and succeed.
2: You know, I, there's, there's one thing, hearing you talk about it, and there's something, I'm not going to get religious at all, but there's a phrase, most anybody, whether they go to church or not, is going to understand this, but a burden shared is, is half a burden. And a joy shared is twice a joy and there's that that that's what makes aa work is this unity we're all coming together for a common purpose everything else race religion all the other bullshit of society is left at the door people are coming together for one sole purpose and that sole purpose is to try and find a way to stay sober one day at a time through helping each other. And, you know, it's it's hard in, in early recovery and even in later recovery to try and think that you can kind of do things your own way. And, just more. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it is, the hardest lessons, the lessons that I continue to learn over and over again that I haven't totally learned yet because they keep repeating are the whole going back to self-will again. And one thing I had a fancy who has got 34 years of sobriety he was reaching out to me and he's got, you know, he's a brilliant guy. He's an atheist and that's cool too. But he's getting really uptight. Rightfully so. He's a science guy about the whole mask thing and how he wanted to have this meeting where they were still masks were required for the meeting and how they had a group conscious and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into a mass debate. Right. But the point is, The resentments that happen and will happen, whether you're in recovery or not, are going to happen. And in recovery, resentments, it says in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, resentments are our number one offender. So when we run with something and we go into that mindset of being angry at somebody else, we are not taking a look at our own side of the street. And if I may philosophize just for a second, that's validated from millions and millions of people, you have one finger pointing out and you got three pointing back at you and that's not new. But what that means is that the biggest problem that most people have today, whether they're in recovery or not, is a failure to be willing enough and courageous enough to take a look in the freaking mirror. We don't want to do it. It's easier to blame this and that, and this person, that person. And, and I had old timers like that new guy in sobriety, you know, in, in early sobriety, get in my face and say, you need to take a look in the mirror, look at your own side of the street, do what you can. You know, if nobody's ever heard it, it's, there's a friendly prayer. It's, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which are people, places, and things that aren't of my own attitude, to accept the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, courage to change the things I can, and, and, and to know the difference between those two of what you can and cannot change. And when we stay there, it puts the onus of responsibility back on ourselves. It makes life a lot easier. And a further step back is not helpless surrender of I can't do it victim mentality. It's this, I need help. Right. The other three most person. In my opinion, there's three powerful words. I got this and I need help. You put those two together, you're going to do all right no matter what happens to you in your life. Because it's the core element underneath all of that, whether it's in recovery or not, it comes back to a word that's called surrender.
1: See, one thing thing that I had, you know, I had a hard time with that word surrender, like in the beginning, right? Well, not only being a man, right? we're taught, you gotta be tough, you suck it up, you keep going, right? We just taught that. But then an old timer said, look, look at it this way, surrender to win. And one of those light bulbs came on and I was like, oh, I get it right? Because one of the, the strongest, I think I want to say one of the best things you can do, right? Is admit you need help, right? Here, let me tell you why, because I have such a long drive to work, right? I've been listening to my Audible and on my Audible, I have Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And she talks about that stuff, right? And, and it's okay to be vulnerable, right? talks about shame and all this stuff. Right. And, you know, you and I come into this recovery thing with a whole bunch of shame. Right. And you know, as well as I do, shame and guilt keeps us out there. If we're, if we don't actually work on that stuff and and turn it around. And, you know, so what I'm learning, you know, from, from some of the stuff I, I read and I listen to is like, to me, it's okay to be vulnerable. Actually, vulnerability is a strength. Right. And what I mean by that, like, if you were my sponsor, I'd say, Hey, Sean, look, I did this and I got this going on, like, you know what I mean? Like, how do I, how do I course correct, right? Instead of holding it in and feeling so ashamed that like these you know, Sean's going to laugh at me or my, you know, my friends are going to laugh at me. I've gotten to a point where I don't care. Like, I know I need to, like, here's what my mentors would have me do in the beginning when I used to point the finger. I wasn't allowed to go to them and say, like, say, Hey, my ex-wife, you know what that bitch did? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just kidding. I'm just using that. And they would go, walk out, come back in. And they knew I would know it. And they say, hey, look, this is what I did. And this is what happened. Here's my part, right? And I learned, like, as much as I had to eat crow, I was just like, but that's actually benefited me in the long run, right? Because. I know if I'm looking at myself first <laughs> and what I can bring to, like, say, our conversation, then I'm not going to go, well, you know, Sean said this that just really pissed me off. And now I'm angry. Bah, 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 bah.
2: Well, the other side of it, did kind of? I lost my train of thought when we we're talking about it with my sponsor. He reached out to me. I, you know, I said, <laughs> I was a little direct because he's direct with me. I'm like, you need to do a 10 step on this. And he's like, well, I don't understand what my part is in it. And I said, You will. You will. For those that don't know, the 10th step of Alcoholics Anonymous is continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And we don't like to admit we're wrong. Max just said that. But what, what came of it was later on in the day, he sent me another text and he says, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better. I had a meeting with my sponsee and imagine that. And I'm like, Yeah, when we get out of our own head and we start getting into service of other people, we kind of forget about ourselves. We're still taking care of ourselves, but we're not dwelling in this. What some people call a pity party or feeling sorry for ourselves. We're actually getting out of our own head, and it doesn't matter if it's from recovery or not. It can be help holding the door open for a lady who's got her arms full of groceries and trying to get out the door, or whatever. But it's about doing simple acts of service of kindness yes of something that is not selfish absolutely i'll just leave it hang there for a sec
1: yeah well i've done that with people that aren't in recovery and use that 10 step and i go because look at this is what my literature teaches me right it's not all in red ink which means you're not always talking about the stuff you did wrong and apologizing, you know, you got to give yourself up, you know, where were you kind, where, where did you do a, you know, a good deed for someone today? You know, it's taking that inventory. Like you have to have balance, right? It can't always be like, oh man, I was such an asshole today. You know what I mean? So, and then I'd help, you know, people look at themselves that way that have asked me, well, how do you do that every day? I said, well, this is what I was taught. So this is what might help you. And I tell them about the 10 steps. So they start doing this personal inventory at night. Like, okay, I wasn't so bad then after all, you know what I mean?
2: Ties into what you're talking about with Brene too, on the commutes. I mean, Brene's she's a master of, of the amount of time and energy Brene has put into studying shame and guilt and how she's put that into an application for people of, you know, all different backgrounds. We all have that. And, you know, understanding is half the battle, but cutting ourselves some slack and learning how to forgive ourselves is part of that healing process. And weren't, you know, you said it before we even started recording is this whole element of perfection. We're never going to be perfect. It's about progress. And as long as we're taking those steps and we learn to cut ourselves some slack when we slip up, because we're going to slip up, whether it's, drinking again, or cussing somebody out in traffic, which is easy to do if you're anywhere in California or in Atlanta. <laughs> right, with just right. a lot of people on the road. <laughs> Most of them don't yeah. know this simple concept of a turn blinker. I mean, figure it out. Anyway,
1: <laughs> right.
2: I digress. If there's opportunities <laughs> to practice healthy thinking no matter where we go. It's just a choice. And that's going back to the serenity prayer of, you know, what can I do today to just make sure that my mind's right and not piss somebody off. right you and i should co- co-write a book i, I want to do this i'm not ready to do it yet but i want to write a book that says don't be a dick
1: let's do it
2: i would love to <laughs> just <laughs> snippets a- fun stuff here's opportunities where i've messed up and i tick people off yeah. and i think that it would just be a fun read and i don't care if we make money on it or not
1: absolutely it would be just a fun book to write yeah that's yeah <laughs> you remind me of Like when my first year, my name was idiot or dick, whatever, you know, my sponsor would just go, I'd walk in and do it and say something, go, just quit being a dick. I'm like, oh man, man, I thought you were here to support me, not, you know, piss me off. And But you know, but there's nothing for me, what I have learned in my experience and and being around guys like yourself, you know, with long-term sobriety, is just like, like, I don't take myself so serious anymore. Right. I don't have to be perfect right? But I do take my recovery serious and I do the things I need to do to stay one connected, right? Because I had that problem with God, the word God and prayer and all that. And just doing simple things that keep me connected, right? To not only the people that have helped me get here, right? Which is the rooms of AA. and But ultimately this power, You like I said, you could call it God, the universe, Allah, whatever. I've actually witnessed in my life just you know, like you said, you said something about Godshot. Gotcha. I've had so many shots where I'm like, I better pay attention. Someone's got my yeah. back, and and here we get to have this awesome conversation, right? So, as you know, life and business kind of parallel themselves, right? In a lot of ways, right? If mm-hmm. if you're not doing the things you need to do in your business, right, you're gonna like a daily inventory, as they say, or a monthly inventory. Your business is gonna go under. Like so, summers. What are some of the challenges, Sean, you've had in your career? Like, you know, because I know I'm going to tell you, like, I I had the attitude. I don't know about you. Like early on, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm working and I'm going to outdo everybody. You know what I mean? And then I get I don't get the raise or whatever. And it's like I get butthurt, right? Because like, don't you know, don't you know who I am? And my sponsor would laugh and go, yeah, they all know, dude, (laughs) just keep doing the work. So talk about some of that stuff.
2: I think going back to in the beginning, of this whole concept of hero to zero, zero to hero, it, it's a pattern. And I've there's some of it that I have control over, and there's some that I don't. And having gone through that roller coaster ride in various, I've been in the same basic career. I have twenty plus years food service experience, so you know I was a pretty damn good waiter, and I loved doing it. And it was hard to break free because the money was so great. But that coupled with sales and even waiting tables is also sales, is this concept of overconfidence to the point of complacency to where I don't have to work so hard. And it's a term that I coined. It's called being ambitiously lazy. I'll bust my ass. I'll work harder than anybody. And then when I get there to wherever there is, I coast. And that in my sales career has come back to bite me in the ass because I build this book of business. I'm writing it. I'm not searching for new clients. I'm not maintaining the things that like the same thing happens in recovery. If you're not going to meetings on a regular basis or connecting with the higher power or others in the program, the chances of you staying sober for a long time are slim to nil. That's not my opinion. That's just the honest to God's truth. And it's like, exercise or diet. You can put any other thing in there if you're not developing the positive habits on a regular basis to do the things that you know you need to do or I need to do to maintain this level of either happiness or or feeling of worth or just feeling good about yourself. If I'm not doing those, then I slip down and I start to feel the guilt and the shame and then I start the blame game, then I start the victim. So the biggest lesson and hardest lesson I've had to face multiple times in my career is what I call complacency. It's getting to a certain spot and coasting because I don't feel like I need to work so hard. I can ride the business that I have. I don't have to continually search for new business. And damn it, if you raise my goals, you should have just kept it the same because that's, don't you know how much I've grown over the last two years? and all this mental stuff. And it's a challenge. And in the midst of writing this book on confidence, I was in that drop. I was the second lowest point of my sales career. And I was you know, worried I was going to lose my job. Fortunately, I had bosses and chief revenue officers that were empathetic enough to say, we see what you have done. This is a cycle. It will pass. Don't worry about your job. Just keep doing and work a little bit harder, focusing on this thing. So I had to be a little coachable, even though I didn't want to hear what I knew I needed to do. Right. And I started doing it. And the flip side of that, not to sound boastful or prideful, and I'm worried that I, if I don't maintain it, it'll go away. But the last seven months, my sales are up 25 to 35% year over year, which is just, it, it's mind blowing to me. And it's a result of staying focused and and changing some habits and maintaining this constant touch in the gas pedal of pursuing new business. Place pursuing new business if you're not in sales with continuing to learn on a daily basis to improve yourself. You know, your fearless happiness is what I hear without having listened to more episodes. That is pretty much the premise of what you're talking about is maintaining this inner sense of worth to not be afraid of what an outcome is, to see the fear for what it is and to move forward with it, trusting that that other side is going to make you happy because you're in the process of moving through it, not sitting back like, you know, one of your friends sitting in the bleachers watching the game because he got cut from the
1: team for drinking. Right. Wow, oh, that, that's good because that actually that's that's exactly what's going to lead me into the next question, right? Because you're absolutely correct. So fearless, right? As you, you can see, that's the name of my book, Fearless Happiness. So we'll talk about fearless first, right? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, well, you're a family man too and stuff. And I, I remember where fear has held me back because I just felt comfortable getting that check. You know what I mean? Right. Instead of moving out and trying to do something bigger and better and and growing. Um, So what does fearless mean to you, Sean? Like, what does that look like to you and how does that show up? Because we know, I mean, we've been around long enough. We know that fear it's always we're always going to have some type of fear. Right. We're never going to be fearless technically. But how do you how does fearlessness or how do you describe fearless for you and what does that look like for you?
2: It's a challenge, and I've spent a little bit of time studying this because I used to be like the guy, just you know,
1: no fear, no fear. (laughs) Right. And
2: one of the guys I interviewed, who's a a very well-known podcaster for the book, said, you know, I don't, I'm I don't subscribe to the no fear t-shirts. And I understood exactly what he meant because fear is always going to be there. So fearlessness is more of an ideal, if you will. To be able to not let it be a block for moving forward, either in being productive or advancing personal development or your own personal mental, physical, spiritual well-being. If there's fear that is ruling our lives, we cannot move forward as long as that fear is holding us down. And that, to me, is this what what I hear you saying with this concept of fearlessness is letting go of that fear that holds us back. So I don't know that there is an ideal that is a hundred percent fearless. Although I have experienced moments of fear, the, the flip side of the coin of fear is faith or belief, call it whatever you want. But when I'm in moments of being fully present, there is no fear. So to say that the absence of fear is an impossibility, There is no right or wrong answer to this. So for me, fearlessness is really about trusting. And for me, trusting in a power greater than myself to do what I can't do for myself. But it's also about courage. It's about courage to try and do things that I know are within my power to not cower at an opportunity because I'm either afraid of failure or I'm afraid of success to step through that. And deal with the uncomfortable emotions of what that comes up that are driven. Every single emotion in the world, with the exception of love, is negative emotion is driven by fear. The root cause of every single emotion has fear as its baseline. Yeah. You can go figure this out on your own. But if you really take a look at whether it's fear of rejection or, or rejection, belonging, add any of them. Fear is the common denominator. So when you replace fear with courage and faith, you can move forward with confidence. It's really that simple.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So the second part of the the question I like to ask is the happiness. And if you saw, I put a why in there. I did that for a reason. So what does happiness look like for you? Knowing I put that why there.
2: So I I emailed Katarina back about that. I'm like, why are you spelling it wrong? And There's got to be a reason. So before I answer the question, why is the why there? Or is
1: that why it's there? So when I came up with the the, the name of my book, I didn't want to put an I, right? Happiness for me has many, many things, many definitions. But when I came down to the root, like you said, fear, right? Like the root of every emotion, there's a fear there, right? So like, The root of joy for me was happiness, right? But here's for me, joy, what brings me joy on the inside, right? Nothing outside, like you talked about, not the gambling, not the drinking, right? I threw all that out and I'm like, right? So like for me, it's playing with my four-year-old granddaughter. That brings me joy, right? Because she's, and I'll tell you a funny story and everybody's going to laugh at this, right? So one day I left a dollar for her, right? So you got to laugh at this, Sean. So this is what brings me happiness and choice. So I got to tell this story. And so my wife calls me and she goes, you know, I gave her, I go, yeah, don't forget to give her her dollar. She goes, you got to, you should have seen what your granddaughter did. And I was all, what? So I go, wait till I get home. So I get home. I asked my wife, she goes, yeah, I gave her the dollar. And she, she handed the dollar back to Mimi. And she said, Mimi, I don't want a dollar. I want big money. I mean, if you can't that, see that, that moment. Yeah. Cause happiness and I've had many conversations with people on this podcast is fleeting. Right. But joy is lasting. And that brought, I laughed. I like, I almost peed my pants. I, I could see how she, she put her hand on her hip. She did the whole finger thing. So oh I asked God. her, I called Holy her, I said, shit. Judy Lee. I said, what big money? And she goes, Opa, $10. <laughs> So that's why I put the why, because for me, happiness starts with you, right? Like yeah. Sean can't make me happy. My wife can't make me happy. It's in here. God gave me this inside. Like, I just have to learn to tap into it. And, you know, me watching my family, you know, whatever they're doing that, you know, being at a baseball game, watching my grandson, that's happiness, right? Because I get to be a part of that. So that's why I put the why. There was many reasons, but stuff like that.
2: I. That's a dynamite story. And it also, the other subtext there is it's all relative. You know, well, what, what is big money? And to ask that clarifying question, because that's a relative term in terms of happiness, in terms right. of belief, in terms of success, in terms of stepladder. For her at her age, 10 bucks probably feels like a million. You yeah. asked that of you <laughs> and I. 10 bucks <laughs> right. is like, okay, I can go take somebody out for a couple of cups of coffee at Starbucks, but 10 bucks ain't. Right. So it's all relative, but the why in happiness, there's two, th- yes, it's you and yes, it's why and what makes us happy. And I keep coming back to what Abe Lincoln said is folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you're talking about. The why in happiness is a, is purely a mindset and a function, our belief system of our own self-worth and our value, not only to ourselves, but as in my case, as God sees me as, as a messenger of whatever for him, but also how we feel about ourselves in relation to others. And there's this incredible dynamic that happens when we feel happy, when we feel joy and in in its essence, it's a hundred percent unconditional, and it's a hundred percent selfless. What you described is just an act of random act of kindness to a granddaughter given a dollar. Yeah. She happened to want more. That's cool. But the act of giving that gives us back so much more. It's it's biblical, but it's also just it's it's part of human beings. The simplest thing that you can do to bring joy, not only to your own life, but to the lives of those around you. And I encourage anybody who ever listens to this to try it for one day and your face is going to hurt when you're done. But when you're out at the grocery store, at the dry cleaners, in traffic, walking down the street, my stepfather taught me this a long, long time ago. You just smile. You don't have to say anything. You don't say Good morning. Hi. How are you? Just smile. I guarantee you, you do that for a day, two days, three days. You're going to naturally feel this thing that happens inside you by this that changes your life. You know, in sales, you smile and dial. In any type of presentation, anybody who smiles is there's just lowers this whole guard and you start smiling. You want to share. Love and joy with somebody else who may be having a bad day, who cuts you off in traffic. I mean, I wasn't going to say this story, but it just dawned on me. And I go off the rails a second. I'm going to pick my son up to go take him for a Costco run yesterday or on on Sunday. And I had, you know, I've been a nose picker for a long time. And I'm thinking I've got nobody watching. I'm sitting there. Why am I even saying it? I'm going to town in my own car, in the privacy of my own car. And somebody drives by and they look at me and all they did was smile. And for a minute I was embarrassed, but it was like this moment of, I've been there too. Didn't make a funny face at me, but it was just one of those things. It's like you smile, you can make feel people feel crappy really easy by cussing them out or telling them that your coffee latte was supposed to be soy milk instead of half and half and blah, blah, blah. Smile say yeah oh i really wanted
1: soy milk can you change this up for me
2: anyway that's all i got
1: that's awesome awesome wow this has been a, a great interview sean thank you so much for for joining me here but before we leave like i want to let the audience or i'd like you to tell the audience where can they get your book i mean i don't know your books and then you got another one coming out like let them know yeah, where they can get I, your
2: books but- you can get tense. beyond recovery, a journey of grace, love, and forgiveness is available on Amazon. If you go to my website, I'll be updating links as the next book comes out, but Sean Langwell, dot com, has beyond recovery and a quick link over to Amazon. It's also available in bookstores across the country. If you don't want to support Amazon, that's totally cool too and then 10 seconds of boldness is in editing now i expect it to be released by father's day possibly sooner i'm hoping to get it pre-sold available for pre-sale on mother's day there is a link there if you want to be part of the first to get that book sign up for you know newsletter and i'll send stuff out to you and have a drawing for a free book as well as a giveaway for you know a small goal setting workbook so so that's that ten seconds of boldness, the essential guide to pro- solving problems and building self confidence, is kind of like my working manifesto of my life for the last thirty years. Beyond awesome. recovery was my recovery journey, and this is taking that recovery journey and moving it into sales and personal development, which is really where I want to go. So, awesome, Max! I can't thank wait to you read it. so much. This this has been a dynamite conversation.
1: Thanks for having me. Oh, the honor's all mine. Thank you for for being a guest. I this was just amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna have you on again soon. You know, we'll have you on again when your book comes out, so we can talk about that. Before we leave, though, could you what last piece of advice would you give my audience?
2: You said it, and I'm gonna use your advice. It's Rule 62 of the A Big Book: Don't take yourself too seriously. Life is way, way, way too short. Okay. Max lost a brother. I didn't share it. I'm going to share it right now. But I had a very similar story when my brother died in a car accident, falling asleep at the wheel when he was just before his 29th birthday. Life is too short. Don't take anything for granted. Pay attention and remember that at the end of the day, if you don't remember anything else, love is the question and it's the answer. That's all you really need. The Beatles had it right. 55 years ago, the Beatles had it right a long time ago.
1: Right. Love is the answer. Awesome. That's all I got. Thank you, sir. Wow. I hope you guys, audience out there, got something from this. This was just an awesome, awesome interview. Thank you for taking the time again, Sean. And uh, you know, I know I'll be talking to you soon. I definitely want to bring you back on when your new book comes out and we can talk about that. So thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing your story with my audience. Thank you, Max. We'll
2: talk soon.